1: Look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: This is the Lombardi Line, with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on (laughs) vSEN.
3: We begin our number two of the Lombardi Line, presented by Ben MGM. Dave Ross alongside Wes Reynolds here at South Point Casino in Las Vegas. Now, we were just having a great conversation with Will Hill, and we were talking about some of these totals in Major League Baseball, and you've had some bad beats. And again, the Chicago one on Sunday, one nothing. I believe it was a passed ball in the bottom of the ninth to get it to 1-1, to go extras. And then, of course, if you had the under... All of a sudden, somehow that gets to 4-4. It drives me crazy because the ghost runner's on second base. Mm -hmm. We have to end that, Major League Baseball. And it's not just because if you got that bad beat, and I wasn't on it, but it is hard to handicap that all of a sudden, if you go extras – it's going to go over. You know, I thought of you
2: this weekend, though. I happened to be watching a portion of a college baseball game, and I forget who the commentator was. It was on the Big Ten Network. It was the uh, Big Ten tournament, and of course, they announced the field yesterday. Who's was going to be in the field of 64 for the NCAA baseball tournament on the road to Omaha, and the announcer was suggesting maybe we ought to try the ghost runner in college baseball, and I was thinking you, I was thinking of you, you're ah! like, blasphemy!
3: No! Blasphemy! Stop Absolutely this.
2: not, even though uh, one of those games that I did happen to watch uh, did end up being 25 to 22. Oh that was a uh, UCLA against Without Oregon state. Yes. Uh, it was, there was a balk actually in one of those <laughs> games to tie it up at 22 in extra innings. I'm like, what are these umps doing? They must get paid by the hour in college baseball. It's
3: ridiculous. And look again, from what we do from a handicapping perspective, right. And I get it. It's just not the way you have to take this into account now that if it goes extra innings, The probability is if you run that Mm -hmm. under, you're going to get hosed in that scenario. And one of the things you are
2: starting to see, just to kind of get back to a macro point here, About a few weeks ago when we were sitting here, every single game on the overnight was getting bet to the under. And this was just maybe even if guys weren't taking a true position, sharper bettors or maybe some syndicates were like, okay, we know this is going to drop because these unders are hitting at a big clip. So we want to get the best number. Now you're starting to see at least a few, not across the board. There's probably still more unders getting bet in the overnights than there are overs necessarily, but you are starting to see some more games get bet to the over like it, like in the overnight. Uh, Wrigley Field, I put aside because all that's wind conditions because no, no they, don't put, they don't put overnight totals out, out up there in mm-hmm. the north side of Chicago. But you look at some of these uh, totals uh, and, and they're starting to move a little bit. They're starting to move a half a run. Uh, Washington and the Mets that Will, oh. Will talked about in the last segment. I think it's a consensus opener here, eight and a half. Now you're seeing it at, like, nine and a half. And that's a
3: huge difference that we've already gone up a run because, again, Will likes the over five. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Patrick Corbin uh, starting today for for Washington. And keep in
2: mind, too, it doesn't take as much money to move overnight numbers that it will, obviously, during the
3: day of the game. So I guess, Wes, my question overall just from a macro perspective because you always talk about it. I think you do a really good job of it. Like, if you think you're getting the better of the number – The books are going to adjust. Has that adjustment to you? Are you seeing it? Is it happening right before our eyes as now the weather? And we knew this would be something to take into account once you get out of the colder spring temperatures and get into those summer summer temperatures here that the elevation balls are just starting to fly out Mm -hmm. that we're not getting out two months ago.
2: Well, I think you're going to start. You're starting to see it slowly, but surely. But I think, you know, once we get to like the second week of June around Flag Day, like June 14th or, you know, closer to Father's Day. Yeah. then you're going to see it, I think, fully be really baked into the market where now you're starting to see these overs and, and whatnot. You're still, I think, seeing a little bit of support for the under, but as Will mentioned on the East Coast, you're starting to get temperatures heat up yes. a little bit. It's not down in the 40s and the 50s anymore. Now you're going to start to see some 80-degree days mm-hmm. in New York and in Boston and in Philadelphia and in D.C. where these balls are going to start flying a little bit more. On the West Coast, you usually see these games moving. Move to the under just because you have a lot more pitchers' parks out here. Yes, like in Oakland, uh, like San Do- Diego, like Dodger Stadium. Even with that lineup that they have, I know it's hard to take it under there, but it is. It is a pitcher's park. San Francisco, also a pitcher's park. Seattle, as you mentioned, so those are going to be more often than not moved to the under throughout the season. But I do think now you're starting to see more timing, the hitters getting more timing, because I always think more often than not that the pitchers do have the advantage, at least early on in the season. Yeah,
3: no question. And again, it is, this is why we, we, we try to bring this up. So you remember this for next year, like early on of the year, you should play more unders. I mean, that's just the, the way the numbers bear it out. And again, once you start to see that sea change and it's happening right now before our eyes and we get into those summer temperatures, be wary of playing some of those unders that you might have done in the first couple months of the season. So that's just information, and it is weather-related, that you should pay attention to before you make those wagers. I want to switch the focus very quickly over to Roland Garros. Mm -hmm. I can't trill my R's. I wish I could because Garros is a very trillable word. You know, I look at tennis, and I love tennis, and I know you do too. And I go, how are people not talking about – Two absolute heavyweights today. How is this not dominating the sports scene today when you have Novak Djokovic taking on Rafael Nadal? I know it's in the quarters, but I mean this is Brady Rogers. This is heavyweight mm-hmm. match. And this is Fraser Ali, right? And and I look at it and I go, Wes, we got to market your sport better. Tennis, I love you. Mm-hmm. You love you. We're gonna watch but I don't know if the betting public is even well, aware that this is going on. Well, over one there at the thing French Open. Uh,
2: we were talking about during the break and I believe this match is slated to go off at 1145 Pacific 245 Eastern Standard Time. We do have another quarterfinal going on right now. That's Alex Zeverev against uh, Carlos Birdman of Alcaraz Birdman of Alcaraz <laughs> does win the third set to stay alive. It's he was down nickname. two sets of love. Alcaraz a big favorite at minus 370, mm-hmm. by the way, over the German Zeverev and Alcaraz has really been kind of the story of the season that he's kind of getting on that top level on the men's side. But nevertheless, we do have Djokovic and Nadal. And one of the reasons we were talking about is because we're looking for the French Open on television. Where are and, you? And can't find it uh, anywhere. I don't know if that match is going to be on NBC later. Uh, if you have the TV listings, please tweet me at <laughs> Russ Reynolds one because we cannot find these <laughs> matches anywhere. But currently, uh, Novak Djokovic, about minus 230, pretty much ballpark over Rafa Nadal. Rafa Nadal plus 190. And look, uh, when you talk about rivalries, maybe one of the greatest rivalries in the history of tennis with Djokovic and Nadal. Djokovic took the lead last year, 30 wins for Djokovic, 28 for Rafa Nadal. That's pretty darn even between these two all-time greats, but Nadal 19 and eight on clay against Novak Djokovic. However, Novak Djokovic last time here at Roland Garros on, uh, uh, what is it? Philippe Chartrier uh, court. That's center court over there. You said that better than I can. Uh, and I, and I took four years of French in high school, and I, I feel like I'm a, a beginner. But I took Spanish. 2021. Well, I, I took French, I guess, because I, I guess I thought a lot of French people were going to immigrate to this country, <laughs> and we were just— Gonna get overrun don't think they, by jock. I don't
3: think they like us as much as we like them. Yeah. I'll just put it like that. Yeah,
2: I know. I know. It's it's, <laughs> it's sad. We got to work that out. But nevertheless, 2021, Novak Djokovic won three to one in the semifinals over Rafa Nadal, and then the final the year before Rafa Nadal in straight sets. But. You know, Djokovic has had kind of an interesting season because there were a few events that he was going to have to miss due mm-hmm. to uh, due to COVID nineteen and uh, not having the vaccine. But Djokovic, so far this year, fifteen and three on clay. Rafa Nadal seven and two. So, you know, Novak is in the better form, but I do think Rafa is going to get the support here. Just when you look, it's like. Rafa Nadal is an underdog on clay at almost $2. My God, sign us up, right?
3: And that's exactly what my question was. And by the way, uh, Zverev right now on the live market, I'm seeing about a minus $1.10. That thing is shifting uh, with each passing game here because now uh, we're in that fourth set, as you mentioned, even though he did have that two sets to love lead. I look at Nadal at, at almost $2 and I go, okay, it's still early in this championship, right? Now he did just have a five setter. Mm-hmm. But I look at Nadal and I go, he's going to have his legs. Yeah. So if this was, say, a final where he had maybe a couple other five-setters to go through to get there, because this isn't the same Rafa Nadal of a decade ago, maybe I'd be more concerned about the legs. How do you feel about the juice of Nadal coming off a five-setter and now his advancing age? Does that worry you? Because both these guys, they're not spring chickens. Well,
2: I think he'll have it early, and not only the five-setter you mentioned against Felix OJ Ali the man from Canada, but also the fact that he and Birdman of Alcaraz and all the other Spanish dignitaries and celebrities were over there celebrating oh. uh, Real Madrid's Champions League win on Saturday over Liverpool, so they were in the state And so, you know, Rafa Nadal, though, I think when you have the energy, when you come off a five set, the energy doesn't dissipate. I think immediately once you start the match, I think it dissipates over the course of time and I think uh, I believe Drew Densick was on with Guild this morning on a numbers game talking about this so I actually like where Drew's head is here and to take Rafa Nadal in the first set Plus if money. that is available it to is. you so you may not want to take because the two dollars just seems like such low-hanging fruit where it's like okay somebody knows something that I don't know but I would be maybe looking Rafa Nadal first set here that he'll have the energy right away and let Novak know okay I'm not going to roll over for you you're in for a fight here and then I think Novak Novak eventually wins the match, so Rafa Nadal at about a plus a dollar fifty is where I've seen him in the market. That is the way I would bet this match.
3: Here. Would you also, by the way, let's say Nadal? If we follow that script, he wins the first set at almost a dollar fifty then do you go back and kind of do that flip-flop yeah, to, to you can, Djokovic? You can, you
2: can do plus money yeah. because Djokovic will be a plus, uh, probably small plus money dog. And you can get plus money on on both Lock sides. In that profit. Maybe, maybe even try, try to middle here. But uh, because I, I think that's exactly what Drew was thinking here. First set on Rafa Nadal, which I'm going to actually bet here at the break. And then <laughs> you could go exact score, depending on your store. You can say Novak in five, three to two, or Novak three to one, where Novak, you know, Wins and straights basically after he potentially loses the first set. But that would be the way I would go here because I do think eventually the fatigue is going to kind of wear on, on Nadal a little bit, but I don't think it does so right away. And by the way, we'll get you updated on the women's side here. Layla Fernandez uh, loses in three sets to Martina Trevisan, the unseeded Italian player on the women's side. And then we do still have at least one American alive, and that is one Corey Coco Goff. She Come wins the straights over Sloan Stevens as a minus 190 favorite. So that's one of your semifinals. The other will be decided tomorrow. It is number one seed Iga Swiatek against Jessica Pegula, the daughter of the Buffalo Bills uh, owners, yeah. the Pegula families. And then uh, Kurder, Kurder Mitova, I got that right, on the second time, against Daria Casatina. That's the other quarterfinal
3: tomorrow. Well played. Some of those names are tough.
2: I was i was kind of stumbling a little bit, though. Got we got throw. there.
3: Come on back. It's still already on on these sports betting Network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit VEASAN.com to check the current betting splits data. The betting splits page is going to show you where the money and bets are moving for every game. And now it's updated every 10 minutes so you can see the changes in all the action. You will be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VEASAN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. So check out today's betting splits for every game at VEASAN.com. Back here alongside Wes Reynolds, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on Vison. Want to give a shout-out. That first strike, first look will be coming up later on this afternoon. My guy Lou Caro is going to join the program. We had a week off because there was no UFC event. A well, rare week off. I know, right? So <laughs> Dana White actually leaving some money on the table this weekend by taking a week off, but back in business this week. And also, you know, we were talking about the French Open, and I, I thought you made some great points there. When you look at Rafa Nadal uh, taking on Novak Djokovic, you can get plus almost a dollar fifty if you like Nadal in the first set, which I do. Again, almost $2 to win that match. That might be a little bit more of a dicey proposition. But, you know, we were kind of kidding about the lack of interest at least in the United States. And it's just kind of the way we've always been when it comes to the French Open, the American men, just don't fare well. Jim Courier's not walking through that door.
2: Where's Where's uh, Michael Chang or uh, Malavi, Malvia Washington? Right? Todd Martin. Not even Sampras or Agassiz, Where is somebody? Because My uh, we were looking to see. I was actually looking at the bracket. You were like, Is there any American men? Was, was John
3: Isner the last great American hope again this year? Uh, I mean,
2: I, I guess because I didn't even see anybody. I don't think make the round of sixteen. See, I'm just uh, scrolling here, and uh, yeah, I didn't see anything. But this is all international. Uh, uh, Mackenzie Mc. Donald did make the third round, but I think Isner did too. But I think that was it, uh, by the way. And uh, we do have, we mentioned two American women still, uh, Jessica Pegula, no, I got it right. I, hey. I got the Russian name hey. right. It's like I can hit the fastball, but I can't hit the <laughs> off-speed stuff. I, I can't believe I, I botched that one, but nevertheless, uh, we made up for it. And uh, she is going to be playing the odds-on favorite, pretty much to win this. Almost uh, Iga Swiatek. Uh, by the way, Iga Swiatek, like minus eight dollars over the uh, daughter of the uh, Buffalo Bills ownership uh, it, tomorrow. So it's
3: the reason why we're rooting for Pakuwa though, and, and Coco Golf. It's like we want to see our Americans do mm-hmm. well overseeing the French Open. So I have those already- are
2: seen Coco at a couple places, by the way, minus $3 over the Italian uh, non-seeded player Trevisan, who uh, made it through today over the Canadian Layla Fernandez. So, and the other quarters by the way, uh, First batch of quarters being decided today to see who reaches the semifinals. Casper uh, Ruud and uh, Holger, is it Rune or Rune? He's a man from Denmark. He wow. is only the second player to make the the uh, quarterfinals, by the way, in the French Open from Denmark. The other one being Caroline Wozniacki, yes. of course, a few years ago. So they are going to be in a semifinal, as is Andre Rublev and Marin Cilic. Nice run for Cilic mm-hmm. here in Roland Garros. But nevertheless, the main event is in the quarterfinals. Nova- it, it almost seems like sacrilegious that they are meeting it, in it the quarterfinals. It is too early. Yeah, Djokovic and Nadal, that is going to go on later this afternoon and I just got a tweet from the Twitter machine saying that match will be on Tennis Channel.
3: Okay, Tennis so, Channel.
2: I wasn't sure if that was going to be on Man. NBC and my, days, gonna... and, and my days of our lives was going to get preempted I, or what was it going on here. not on NBC?
3: But that, that's a story for another day. Yeah. Look, I'm the old guy in the room and back in the day, I'm old enough to remember when the Swedes dominated uh, the French Open. I'm talking about Bjorn Borg, right? And then after that, Stefan Edbergs mm-hmm. and the Mats Villanders came along and they were winning. And mm-hmm. you're like, where are those Americans? Just think of this. Jimmy Connors never won the French Open. John McEnroe never won the French Open. That's how difficult it was. So when Jim Courier came along mm-hmm. and Andre Agassi and those guys came along, it was a new day for American tennis. Over in the French Open, we, the United States, we've just never really fared that well over there.
2: Pete Sampras never won the French Open.
3: A great Wimbledon champion. That's how difficult it is to win on clay. And now it's been dominated... I, I still can't believe that Roger Federer actually has won the French Open. I know. That's an amazing feat when you think well, about it.
2: Well, it's just this generation. I mean, when you're going against Rafa Nadal, who is the great, greatest clay quarter ever, I think that that's pretty much a consensus across the board. And the fact that he can dominate like Djokovic. I mentioned the record 19 and eight on clay over their career. And it's even more widespread against Roger Federer. So, uh, nevertheless, Rafa Nadal, I'm sure is going to get the support. I don't think it's going to be a huge handle no. with these books, but, uh, I think uh, we're going to go with the first set on uh, one Rafa Nadal today.
3: You know, I always kid, Wes, like, you know, the barbershop conversations that are going to happen for, for decades, right? At some point, the big three will come up. And when you look at what will be the greatest achievement, right? Is it Nadal winning a couple Wimbledons, right? Beating Federer, one of the most epic matches I've ever seen, at Wimbledon in the dark in that five-setter. When When Raja was the king of the grass, Mm -hmm. right? Or is it going to be that our fed actually went to Roland Garros and won there? And then we talk about Joker, right? He's almost like Joker's like, yeah, but I just went everywhere. I went on any surface. It doesn't matter.
2: Now he's number one all time for grand slams. He got that number, of course, last year. And I think, look, you can make arguments. I think that they're so close. You can make arguments for Nadal. You make arguments for Federer, but my argument is for Djokovic. He's won the most slams and he's won all four of them, at least somewhat on the regular. So uh, Novak Djokovic trying to add to his legacy here this afternoon and beyond at Roland Garros. Yeah,
3: it'd be a fascinating conversation. Uh, it, it will stand the test of time. I think Djokovic is the right answer, but I'd always like to make a case for our fed because he's mm-hmm. my fave. Uh, let's talk about who would you rather have in the NFL and the reason why we talk about legacies right in tennis how about in the NFL because the fact that we're going to put somebody up against Patrick Mahomes in this year when you look at certainly futures markets here right for MVP potentially would you would you rather really take Josh Allen over Patrick Mahomes because that would seem like sacrilege just a year ago now it feels like a real viable conversation.
2: I would a little bit actually with Josh Allen. Now he is the bigger guy and I think he's just as fast. He's just as good of a runner, if not a better runner necessarily than Patrick Mahomes. And look, uh, look, I'll take either one of them to be honest (laughs) with you, but uh, just looking at this, I think Josh Allen has kind of learned a little bit more now that he's had some better coaching. I know that coach being Brian Dable was no longer there in Buffalo and is now the head coach of the New York giants. But I just think learning with a really elite offensive coordinator and play caller in this league has made him better because I think the you know, his first couple years, it was like, eh, you know, this guy, yeah, he was the quarterback at Wyoming. He is who he thought he was. And, and, you know, but going to Buffalo playing an in inclement weather, it's like, well, I've seen enough of those Wyoming games. I know he can play in those, weather, but you just look and he's getting better as a passer. Like he always had a rocket arm and that's why he was drafted so high out of Wyoming, even though that was a team when you looked at them offensively. They didn't score a lot of points out there in the mountain West, but uh, look career high in completions career high in attempts. The percentage was a little bit down and the yards were a little bit down, but the rushing was up. They were allowing him to run a little bit more. I think he had 763 yards. That was the highest of his career, the highest rush attempts as well. So, you know, and, and, and the interceptions, uh, they did go up, but when your attempts are going to go up, your interceptions are going to go up. But I would say Josh Allen, I just, you know, I like the fact that he's just as good, if not a better runner, he is a little bit bigger guy, Mahomes, six, three Allen, six, five, about the same weight, two thirty, 230, two thirty five. 235 Mahomes. It's almost like when you watch him on TV, he looks so small, but he is not a small dude.
3: Not at, at all. all. It, it, what's interesting here is it feels like this is. You know, Mahomes has been the established guy. Mm-hmm. Allen's ready to take over the mantle, right, for MVP. But the guy that's won the last two MVPs is still Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Right, so neither one of these guys with those great years that they've had the last couple of years have not been good enough to win ne- the MVP. Neither is
2: washed up, but one one I think feather may be in Allen's cap is it seems like McDermott – could be in Buffalo a little bit longer than Andy Reid. Who knows if Andy Reid wants to retire in like a Ah, year or two. That's a great point. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I got my Super Bowl. I've had a lot of ups and downs, not only professionally, but obviously personally. Maybe I want to step away from the game. And McDermott's a pretty young guy and one of the better young coaches in the league. So I think Allen, at least long term, could have a little bit more continuity maybe than Mahomes will with likely or perhaps a new coach coming in in the next couple of years.
3: For this upcoming season, if you had to wager MVP for one of these two, who would you put it on? Because now the narrative in Kansas City, and remember, these are voted on awards, Mm -hmm. right? The narrative in Kansas City is going to be, well, he doesn't have Tyreek Hill. So if he has a great statistical year, he's done it with lesser right. talent around right. him, right? Josh Allen, they go, well, he's got Steph Diggs. He, he's got emerging receivers. Maybe he's got more. Do you think that affects the MVP discussion when we get there down the road if you had to just pick between these two? It
2: could, but what might affect it more is just the schedule for Kansas City. Look at the division they're in. Right. There are no gimmies in that division at all. And meanwhile, Buffalo, I still think the class of the East and a little bit more of a manageable schedule.
3: Yeah, no question about it. And and I think that's a great point to make here. We're going to have some more quarterback comparisons when we come back uh, in the next segment. But you do have to look at the division because I think the AFC East is getting better, but it's nowhere near what the AFC West is. So you can use a kind of double-edged sword. The voters could say, man... Kansas City still won that division, mm-hmm. arguably the best and most competitive division in the history of the NFL. We got to give the MVP to Patrick right. Mahomes. Why would we give it to Josh Allen? It's a down division well, compared to, to what Patrick. Well, they're they're,
2: they're going to meet up in Week Six on October sixteenth, Buffalo at Kansas City. So uh, that could go maybe a little bit of ways because head-to-head matchups I think are often. We remember priorities. what happened last year. Yes. Wow, yes. that was an eye-opening that, performance. That playoff game I think, by the way, changed the league and that changed the way a lot of these coaches and owners and GMs are approaching it. It's like, we got to get one of those guys as our quarterback or at least try to develop one.
3: This is a fun exercise for your futures markets. We're going to do some more. Who would you rather have when you come back with us right here on the Lombardi line on these and these sports betting. The VEASAN Summer Special is here. For only $39, you get everything VEASAN has to offer from now to the end of July. The next few months can be filled with the best betting content in the biz, right here at VEASAN.com. Subscribers are gonna have access to all of it, including Adam Burke's daily MLB Best Bets. Jonathan Von Tobel is going to have Best Bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Andy McNeil is going to break down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. you going to have lots of NFL preseason coverage as well, not to mention continued Best Bets and premium articles covering golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR if you want the full decent experience, which features a daily Best Bets email. Every edition of spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost is only $39. Be a subscriber through July 31st, so sign up now at com slash summer. Back alongside West Reynolds, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Ryan right here on VEASAN. We're doing a Who Would You Rather segment here in the NFL. And I think when you kind of workshop some of these questions that we have for quarterbacks, we understand that the MVP is predominantly now an MVP-driven award. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of look and narrate through these, these uh, options that you have, you can think about those in the futures market and also maybe potentially for the team. Now, Joe Burrow last year was comeback player of the year. Now remember, early on, that, that award was going to Dak Prescott, right? It was signed, sealed, and delivered. And then as the season went on, Joe Burrow became inescapable. That you had to give the award to him based on what the team and the performance that they put forward. Justin Herbert this year is going to be on a short favorite to be one of those MVPs, going to take that next step. He took a pretty darn good step last year individually, but the team success didn't allow for him to really be in that MVP equation. So, Wes Reynolds, I ask you, who would you rather have this year, Joe Burrow, last year's comeback player of the year, or Justin Herbert, a guy that we feel like is arriving? but maybe not ready for MVP.
2: I know I'm going to counteract my argument from the previous segment, being in that division, but I'm going to say Justin Herbert here, because look, I think maybe you could get some regression from Cincinnati. Are they going to be a one-year wonder? I don't know. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a very good quarterback for a long time in this league, one of the elite, but he's just got to stay healthy. And look, he was a guy that got Beat up pretty good in the Super Bowl. And the offensive line, we said, hey, they've done a pretty good job. They've held it together because obviously they didn't the year before because Burrow missed half the season in his rookie year. But yeah. He, he th- that offensive line still has to get better. Now the chargers have been working on building that offensive line for the last couple years now, where it's almost becoming a little bit more of a strength of the team instead of a glaring weakness, which it was and look, uh, and, and I'm high on the chargers long-term as well. I know, you know, there's some debate and debate is always good. I think here at mm-hmm. visa there's some d- debate on the, the chargers. I'm a little more long on them. And, you know, I happen to like that head coach that they have. And I know people kind of scratch their head at some, of the decisions I like he's a little him too. Bit unconventional. Yes, but.
3: But, but he just, it's just that, that does fit into this narrative, right? That the head coaching, it does matter. Mm-hmm. So like if Brandon Staley last year makes a couple decisions that go differently, mm-hmm. right? And they win a couple more games and they're a playoff team. Then the narrative changes when you get into these conversations for awards.
2: Right. Absolutely. And look, uh, I would still rate Staley a little bit ahead. It almost seems stupid to say this because one's been to a Super Bowl and one has not, but I would rate Staley a little bit ahead of Zach Taylor in terms of just like pure coaching acumen, maybe a little bit of pedigree here as well. But I think this chargers team, if I'm going to say, okay, if Kansas city is the favorite, and I don't think that they're like the clear cut favorite. I know a lot of people love Denver because Russell Wilson is there and we know the Raiders are going to be at least explosive on offense. I think McDaniels is going to upgrade that offense yes. uh, out here in Las Vegas. But I think the chargers are the team. That's kind of right there to challenge Kansas city. And you can make an argument for all of them really. But I, I just, I, I like this team. I like what they added defensively in terms of adding Khalil Mack mm-hmm. along with Joey Bosa. They're going to be a nightmare to, to block, uh, to protect your quarterback. So the chargers team, I think they've upgraded the talent and, and I just like Herbert and Herbert is a big giant human being. He is a huge <laughs> quarterback, 6'5"? six, Six foot six, two hundred and thirty-six, might be about two hundred and forty pounds, still very mobile, can run. And, you know, I I always thought that Oregon, that Cristobal and all those coaches up there at Oregon never really got as much out of him as he could give.
3: We didn't see it all there. No,
2: no, we did not. And, and, and I, I just like him going forward. I think what they've done with the offensive line and they've drafted uh, look, they drafted Slater out of Northwestern Mm -hmm. in the first round last year, you know, the free agents that they've had uh, with uh, Lindsley and with filer. So this offensive line is a little bit better. They're still tooling it a little bit, but I think it's in much better shape than Cincinnati. So that is the reason why I go with Herbert Overburrow.
3: Okay. Now to your point about Brandon Staley, by the way, you just look at coach of the year and right now he's the favorite to win that award. I'm seeing about 14 to one Zach Taylor, 20 to Mm one, right? So again, before, sometimes you look at these quarterback comparisons and then you have to almost go linear here to the, to the coaches. And right now, Brandon Staley, you made the point of getting the Cleo max like right now, Everything is there for Boy Genius 2.0, as I like to call him. Mm-hmm. Because the first one was Sean McVeigh.
2: Yeah, yeah, you say that oh, lovingly, me. right? Right.
3: Sean McVeigh was the first one. Yes, I do say it lovingly. <laughs> I, 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 you're hardest on the ones you love. And I want Brandon Staley to be better. And I just thought he was not peak Brandon Staley last year. I thought sometimes he let... Sometimes, maybe the book determined too many of his decisions. I think the best coaches in there marry the two. Like, you know, I've got a lot of Rams fans out there, right? And they'll tell me that Boy Genius is not the most analytically driven coach out there. Sometimes he punts too much when he should go for it. So, I just want Brandon Staley to learn from mistakes. Mm -hmm. And if you don't perceive them to be mistakes... That could be a problem because I do think some of those decisions cost his team a chance to win more games and be in the postseason. And that's what it's got to be about. It cannot be about, you know, following one path over the other. The pathway to victory is the pathway you have to follow however you get there.
2: But, but one thing I think with Staley too, is I like that he's self-assured and he's confident, you know, and he got a lot of scrutiny and that's what you're going to get as a coach, you know, when you, you know, and, and I don't even think it's necessarily decisions. Like sometimes when you're going for two, it's not analytics, it's math, you know? So, so sometimes I think those decisions are right, but you know, just based on, you know, what he sets up and his play calling, I think is, is, is better is far better than average. So no question. I think Staley is a guy that's really assured of himself. And when you're a young coach and you don't always do it the conventional way, I think, you know, that's where you're going to open yourself up to criticism. But look, I I appreciate that he wears it. He's like, okay, fine. You guys, you guys criticize me, you know, for my decision here. right, exactly. And I think think being that self-assured and that self-aware is going to pay off. I think the Chargers have a really bright future.
3: And you know this, I already have a futures ticket on them to to win the AFC. So I've got a good number. I'm trusting In Boy Genius 2.0 to get it done this year. Who would you rather have? Now, this one feels like on the surface when you look at it, no-brainer. You'd much rather have Lamar Jackson over Kyler Murray. But there are some conditions here that we should take into effect before we make this definitive answer. One, Lamar Jackson right now is missing camp, missing time. For the first time ever, he hasn't shown up for OTAs. Now, again, they're optional, but he decided to not show up. Kyler Murray has had an offseason from hell, right? But he's still paired with the quarterback that we – excuse me, with the head coach Mm -hmm. that should be able to get the most out of his quarterback, right? They they do feel like kindred spirits here. So is it as simple that Lamar Jackson is a former MVP, therefore I'm going to take him this year – Or do you have concerns that maybe some of the off the field stuff could affect what happens on the field?
2: Well, it's not just the, uh, the concern with Kyler Murray in terms of the contract impasse that apparently they are at right now. It's the fact that you look at Arizona and they've kind of been this way the last couple of years, they start out hot and then they fade down the stretch. So, you know, just looking and, and maybe this is more of a team thing necessarily Mm -hmm. than it is a player thing. I would side a little bit with Lamar Jackson and I've always, I've never been a total believer nor disbeliever in Lamar Jackson. And you look at those numbers, 64.4%, only 16 touchdowns. So obviously Kyler Murray has the much better numbers, but, I think Baltimore may be set up to win right away. And I just think Baltimore is the better organization. Like we looked at their draft. They were drafted in the middle of the, of the rounds pretty much every single time they get Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. who was a top 10 talent. They get pick. him at 14. They get Tyler or Lindabom, the center out of mm-hmm. Iowa. Ojabo who was going to go in the first round before he hurt his knee. They get him in the second round. It's like the Baltimore Ravens. I feel like every year just draft smarter than everybody else or almost everybody else. Uh, there are some changes on the defensive side. Mike McDonald, Donald's the new defensive coordinator replacing Wink Martindale. So – I think Baltimore is a little bit more set up right now. Now, Hollywood Brown is out in Arizona, but I think that they're going to be okay. I think the Ravens got enough talent, a young talent at receiver, the kid Bateman that they drafted out of Minnesota, and then Wallace, they've got a lot of possession receivers. You got Mark Andrews, who's Mm -hmm. one of the best. He's Mandrews, because he's one (laughs) of the uh, best tight ends in the National Football League. The offensive line, I think, should play better, assuming when Ronnie Stanley comes back healthy. I think that was a huge blow when, when, when he he was lost for the season, but I just like the Ravens more long-term than the Arizona Cardinals. So even though Lamar doesn't have the better numbers, I would go with Lamar over Kyler
3: Murray. You know, I, I tend to agree with you, but it is fascinating when you look at the numbers, they're not close. I mean, they, they are definitely skewed in the favor of Kyler Murray, but again, this is kind of, you, you get out there and it's like, well, what do I want my quarterback to do? Who's going to win more? And I think the belief is that we believe Lamar Jackson's going to figure out a way, whether it's with his legs and maybe the numbers don't look as good as Kyler Murray's, but the end result, he might get this team a little bit further down the road than Kyler Murray's been able to do it so far in Arizona. Okay, we're going to put a bow on this edition of the Lombardi Line when you come back with us right here on Beeson, the Sports betting now. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you're going to earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free free bets and free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas, you can convert those BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM resort properties located in the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is Sports Betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on. the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM rewards. Eligible restrictions to apply. Visit bedmGM.com for, uh, for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back alongside Wes Reynolds, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line. We do have a game tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It is in the Western Conference. It's game one between Edmonton and Colorado. And Wes, what jumps out to me is when I look at the total mm-hmm. and I see seven and I go, seven, I got to get to eight goals if I want to play the over. But right now, how do you play the under? When you look at the way that we believe this series is going to go, we're looking offense, offense and more offense. Is there any way I can entice you on the under at seven.
2: Well, right now that's actually my lean at at seven, but you gotta pay uh, you know, some decent VIG, mm-hmm. about a dollar thirty or a dollar thirty five here. But Because this is game one, and look, I think a lot of people are going to be more apt for the over simply because of what they saw with Edmonton and Calgary. What was that? Nine to six Calgary in game one. And when you have two of the best offensive players in hockey, maybe the two best with McDavid, with Edmonton, and of course, Nathan McKinnon with the Colorado Avalanche, and you saw how big that they were in their semifinal Western Conference series wins, respectively. But You know, you look at Edmonton, when it's a higher-scoring game, they're going to win most of the time. I think uh, going back to the regular season – 44 and five when they score four or more goals, wow. but only 13 and 32 when they score three or fewer. So I'm interested to see if this is going to be run, 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 or if Colorado is going to be willing to play a little bit more of a defensive style Whoa. of hockey. And we kind of saw that a little bit in the St. Louis series. Not all those games were very high scoring. I think Colorado in game one, it was two to one. It was very close. Now the scoring kind of picked up a little bit as a uh, Huso had to go in back and back in goal for St. Louis mm-hmm. instead of Bennington. It was kind of like the hot goal goaltender for them at the time. And he took uh, the reins, I think, basically in that first round series against the Minnesota wild. But you look at what uh, Colorado did. They only allowed more than three goals one time in that series against St. Louis and St. Louis, pretty good offensive team only averaged 2.5 goals a game. Edmonton, obviously 4.3 goals per 60 minutes in regulation in the playoffs, which is a little bit better than the Colorado, but you say, okay, I got to get the eight goals. It's like, how are you going to score more than three goals on this Colorado team? Cause this is not going to be easy to do. Darcy Kemper, I think has been very good. And Colorado is a team, despite the fact that they score a lot of goals and they seem to get up and down the ice and get a bunch of counterattacks, they play a good defensive hockey, and, and they block shots, and that's what you have to do, especially against the Edmonton Oilers and especially against Connor McDavid. Uh, uh, Mike Smith, I thought, was better, despite the fact that you had a couple really high-scoring games, that mm-hmm. nine-goal game that I pointed out in game one. Mike Smith, I thought, was actually better for Edmonton in the second round against Calgary than he was against the Kings, and the Kings are not a very good offensive team. So it was more Mike Smith making some mistakes, you know, giving up some bad rebounds, getting out of position. I thought... He thought he was a, 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 a much better in the second round. I don't know if he can do it here in the conference finals, but uh, one thing about Edmonton that you talk about, and we always talk about Connor McDavid yes. rightfully so, but he doesn't lead the playoffs in goals. You know who does? He is a member of the Edmonton Oilers. That being Evander Kane. Oh, wow. He has benefited. He's so, been great. Uh, Evander Kane, Zach Hyman, also with a lot of goals. So they're not a one-man team necessarily. Edmonton, uh, Leon Draisaitl. Of course, uh, nice support on that uh, first line with Connor McDavid. Uh, Colorado, uh, uh, look, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with the series as, as of yet. Uh, you know, Edmonton, I still think that this is a step up. And is this like Colorado's year now? Because we know they've had semifinal-itis, if you will. They've lost <laughs> in the semifinals. What is it, the last three? It might be the last four seasons. But they got through it this year. Now they're in the Western Conference Finals. They got the monkey off their back. So is it like, OK, now we've got that off our back and now we don't have to stress that out. And then I don't want to say smooth sailing, but it's like, OK, now we know we've gotten through it and that we can take care of this team. And Edmonton, look, not used to be in this deep in the playoffs, despite this young talent that they have, especially offensively. I think Colorado is going to win the series. I don't know if I I might wait to do this in series, but I would certainly lean with the Colorado avalanche here. I just think that they're just a little bit better in almost all of the phases of the game and especially defensively. And I think defense matters, even though we've seen a lot more goals this regular season in hockey and and in the playoffs, even though later in the series, it could kind of die down a little bit and you see a little bit more unders come in Mm -hmm. than overs early on in the series. But Leaning a little bit to the under tonight at, at seven, I want to see how less juice I can lay because what I may end up doing is waiting to see if there's over bets coming in where it's like, I don't want to bet a dollar 35 necessarily on the under at a dollar 25 might be willing to do so. Hmm. Cause I'm kind of funny about totals. Like I have thresholds where it's like, I only lay so much big on a total and I do this mainly for hockey and soccer. Where maybe a dollar thirty or even a dollar thirty five is about my cutoff. When you get to like a dollar forty, dollar forty five. You kinda saw pricey. that last night with yeah. the under with the uh, yep. Rangers in uh, Carolina Hurricanes, where there I saw people laying one forty five on the under five Oof. and a half. I was like, No, sir, not for me. Wait for an in play or, or something like that. But uh, I do think Colorado is going to end up taking this series in six. I'm seeing, I think, about 240, yeah, 240 right now on the series price. But uh, I think it's priced about right for the series. And it's like, do I really want to lay 240 to Connor McDavid in a seven-game series? Mm. And I'm not sure I really want to do that.
3: Now, Colorado, to your point, they've lost the last three years uh, in the second round. So they've kind of gotten over that hurdle to get to the Western conference finals here. But you know, it is interesting because this has gotten betting up here. Colorado opened about minus $1.70 in game one. It's up to $1.85 here at BetMGM, MGM. And, and I just look at it and I go, when you have Nathan McKinnon, like you look at Connor McDavid, you go, wow, we're not going to see anything like him. Then you get Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you've got the two shining stars here in the NHL. And you know, you can go back to Gretzky when he was at Edmonton and you're like, well, Everybody in Canada talks about him, but are they going to talk about him in the United States? This feels like such a showcase opportunity for two of the youngest stars here on a marquee stage in the Western Conference. It is hard for me to not take the $2 underdog here in a guy like Connor McDavid and the offense that they have. But your point is well taken. Colorado basically has a better team. I think we're all in consensus of that. And their defense is better. But will they be willing to play that style? Or is it going to be, let's go let's go McKinnon, let's mm-hmm. go McDavid and let's see which young star is going to shine the brightest in the seven game series.
2: Well, and I think that's the difference if it between. goes seven, that's the difference between the two teams. I think Edmonton, you know, a little bit weaker defensively with their two primary lines and Colorado arguably has the best defensive pairing in hockey with Kale McCarr, Devin Taves. So these are guys that can absorb a lot of the punishment, can play a lot of minutes, have a lot of ice time, a lot of shifts here. So that's where I think the advantage more is. I think off offensively these two teams at least by the numbers at least in the playoffs have been pretty even but I just think that that defense I think Colorado is such a different animal than the Kings or even the Calgary Flames they have so much depth offensively you know Edmonton, I, I, I think if it's going under, it's going to be Colorado dictating the pace more so than Edmonton because I'm not sure how Edmonton uh, really is going to stifle them offensively. And I think Colorado at least can kind of keep Edmonton at bay.
3: You know, it's interesting when you look at the odds. And again, I mentioned before uh, game six for the Rangers in, in uh and, uh Carolina, you could have got the blue shirts about 20 to 1. Now they're 5 to 1 to hoist the cup here as they've gotten to the uh, conference finals here against Tampa Bay. When you look at Edmonton at plus 550, I just wonder if people go, man, I remember obviously when the great uh, Wayne Gretzky did mm-hmm. it, but he had Messier and some help there, uh, certainly to get those Stanley Cups. Are we going to look back and go, I could have gotten Connor McDavid at plus 550 and I didn't take it? Like, are we looking at because we look at him as the next big individual star, but the team we don't think is good, as good as the Avs and company.
2: Right, and and look, I think that will get some support just because it is Connor McDavid. You'll see, whoa, plus five fifty, and then New York, because look, New York, a big market team, is always going to get been the draw since 1994. here. 1994, and then Tampa Bay, the defending two-time in a mm-hmm. row Stanley Cup champions. But uh, look, I, I think it's priced right. I think the Avs are still
3: the team to beat. All right, plus one twenty there. But look, if you're going to say reigning defending. I need you to say reigning defending two-time <laughs> Stanley Cup champion.
2: Do it like a Diamond Dallas page. Two-time, two-time, <laughs> two-time.
3: God, it like a promo. Yeah, it should be. Uh, look, I'll be watching this one intently. Obviously, I am interested in watching the individual matchup with McKinnon and McDavid going at it here because they are two of the youngest uh, shining stars in the NHL. It's great for the league to, mm-hmm. to finally have these guys uh, going mano-a-mano here in the Western yeah, Conference. Yeah, because finals.
2: you have big individual stars, yep. even you don't necessarily have huge markets obviously the rangers being the notable exception
3: yeah absolutely so that's going to be interesting kicking off game one tonight west always enjoy the conversation my friend glad you're out of the elevator <laughs> you and me both good to have you back uh, i want to thank of course the king of new york will hill for joining us today and tim doyle the one and only timmy e. d he does look a lot like steven sabal thanks to Stephen uh, bond everybody uh f- thanks for watching the lombardi line right here on visa and the sports betting network
1: Zumo Play.